This is Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Nabil Biagio and here is what's coming up. Here in Zambia, when you are looking for a job, mostly in the private sector, you find that the request for a certain number of experience, which is quite hard for the young people because the young people are just coming out of school. That was Mustafa Hapambali, a young Zambian university graduate talking about the problems in finding a job. Details coming up. Also, concerns are rising in Washington over Israel's planned assault in the area of Rafah in the Gaza Strip. And the Ivory Coast keeps the Afghan trophy at home. All this and more coming up on African News Tonight. President Joe Biden is hosting Jordan's King Abdullah II in Washington today. And the two leaders are expected to discuss the effort to free hostages held in Gaza and growing concern over an Israeli military operation in the port city of Rafah. The meeting comes as Israeli airstrikes Monday hit the southern city of Rafah, killing at least 67 people, according to local health officials in the area of the Gaza Strip, where 1.4 million civilians have already fled to escape the war. In addition, Israeli troops have rescued two hostages who were captured by Hamas militants on the October 7th attack on Israel. About 1,200 people were killed that day, and more than 240 were taken hostage. As events unfold quickly in the conflict, the U.S. administration is urging the Israeli government to hold off on any attack on Rafah until it has, quote, a credible and executable plan to protect civilians sheltering there. This comes as Biden criticized the Israeli offensive in the Gaza Strip as over the top. The Gaza Health Ministry has said nearly 30,000 people died in Gaza since the fighting began. For more on the U.S. perspective, VOA White House correspondent Anita Powell is on the line with me now. Welcome to the show, Anita. Thank you so much. And King Abdullah's uh, visit to Washington today, what is on the agenda and what is expected to come out of it? So the two leaders are expected to talk about, as they said in a statement, an enduring solution to the crisis in Gaza. Um, so this is this is front and center, of course, for both of these leaders. It's notable that the King of Jordan is the first Arab leader to visit the White House since the crisis in Israel started. Um, of course, Jordan has very deep ties, especially to the West Bank, because it's the West Bank of the Jordanian River. They will obviously be talking about some of the ructions in the West Bank. As we saw, um, I want to say it was about 10 days ago, the Biden administration sanctioned four Israelis who were leading violent settler activities in the West Bank. This is, of course, a concern to Jordan because this is right in their backyard. So in that regard, is a very significant visit. And here in Washington, the reports are indicating that the White House uh, tone toward Israel and its prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, may be changing. What seems to be happening? Right. We saw that reflected in a weekend call between President Biden and Prime Minister Netanyahu, in which in the aftermath, Biden sounded a very um, cautious and, and sort of concerned tone about um, the offensive that's happening right now, or rather on Monday, earlier Monday, in Rafa, um, in which he said basically he should, you know, he reaffirmed his view that a military operation in Rafa should not proceed without a credible and executable plan. This is um, the first time I think we've seen the president just kind of directly and substantively um, 
kind of getting into the weeds of how Israel's conducting its military operations. And that's definitely a shift in tone. And here's another one, Anita. The White House has been pushing um, uh, to get Congress to approve uh, new military aid for Israel. And those efforts seem uh, to be stalling. Uh, What is happening on that front? Well, we, of course, saw all of the drama with the the border bill that also included funding for Ukraine and Israel. But now we're seeing that we might have a vote as soon as Tuesday um, on a $95 billion national security bill, which would, of course, contain funds not just for Israel, but also for Ukraine. Um, it kind of remains to be seen. I mean, I just wouldn't I wouldn't hold my breath on anything that the U.S. Congress does right now because they uh, they're full of surprises, I guess. Um so, and and also, you know, this bill may not go through the House. So, it's it's really hard to say, but it is in motion, and some Senate leaders are optimistic that at least this is going through the process, and that they're doing their level best to try to get funding into these two very important parts of the world. I think we will continue uh, watching these developments uh, c- closely. Thank you very much, Anita Powell, for joining us. Thank you, Nabil. Transparency International's Corruption Perceptions Index for 2023 paints a complex picture for Africa's battle against corruption. VOA's Paul Indijo has more. Despite some African nations making strides, the overall scenario remains grim. With the average regional corruption score at 33 out of 100%, this indicates that corruption is still a significant issue, with 90% of sub-Saharan African countries scoring below 50%. At a recent event hosted in Washington, D.C. by James Madison University on accountability in African public policy and administration, experts like Dr. Sombo Muzata from James Madison University argued that combating corruption requires a comprehensive approach by building strong institutions that promote accountability. Hey, can we build institutions that, you know, promote accountability? Yes, we can build institutions like that. You know, we can have anti-corruption agencies, we can have the finance intelligence units, we can have the drug enforcement commissions, all those, the police, okay? All those are institutions that hold individuals accountable for the things that they do. The Transparency International report points to countries like Seychelles, Cape Verde and Botswana as examples of success. The report also reveals that Equatorial Guinea South Sudan and Somalia are lagging near the bottom of the CPI index in dealing with corruption issues. We need to be a little bit tough with the way we implement rules and regulations around corruption. They shouldn't just be policies, uh, you know, on tables and on on shelves. So enforcement of rules and regulations becomes very, very important. Dr. J. Abaniz from Virginia Commonwealth University emphasizes the need for more accountability. We need to make the voice of civil society louder. And how do you make the voice of civil society louder? You empower people through education, training, uh, community groups, You have to focus those things. Africa's struggle against corruption also poses risks to its democratic processes. Countries with lower CPI scores, including Mali, Guinea, Niger and Gabon, face democratic tensions underscored by a series of unconstitutional changes in governance. This underscores the urgency of Africa's overall fight against corruption that demands strong institutions and enforcement and a societal shift 
towards greater accountability and ethical governance to safeguard the continent's future. Paul Ndiho, VOA News, Washington. Al-Qaeda-linked militant group al-Shabaab has claimed an attack that killed four Emirati troops and a Bahraini military officer at a military base in the Somali capital. The Associated Press says the attack Saturday targeted the troops at the General Gordon military base in Maqdishu. Details about the attack and whether it killed others remain scarce Sunday. Somali President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud offered his condolences to the UAE for the loss of its troops, who were identified as a colonel, two warrant officers and a corporal. Bahrain said a major was killed in the attack. The troops were in Somalia on a training mission. Millions of young people in Zambia struggle with securing employment after graduation and continue to rely on their parents to get by. 82% of the country's population falls below the age of 35, according to the UN. In 2018, Zambia's unemployment rate among young people was officially reported at 41%. As part of a series on the issue of unemployment, three graduates from the capital Lusaka shared their experiences in searching for jobs with Kathy Short. My first qualification from the University of Zambia was a Bachelor of Arts with Education. I majored in English with curriculum studies. Um, the challenge that I began to face after the excitement of graduating from the University of Zambia with great grades, I say excellent grades, was first of all that there was no room for me in the place that I thought I would firstly be working. That's the education sector. That's where I was targeting, that's where I was sending all my application uh, letters. Even when the government had opened up to employ a bit more teachers, I applied and we all know the strategy applying the rural areas so that you get picked, but it didn't happen. So the disappointment firstly that even the place of work that you were being prepared for uh, when you were in university may not actually have room for you to work is, is quite the shock. My experience with uh, looking for a job in Zambia has been very challenging, just like it is in, uh, in most African countries. Um, here in Zambia, when you are looking for a job, mostly in the private sector, you find that they request for a certain number of experience, which is quite hard for the young people because the young people are just coming out of school and for them to get a job, they are being asked for five years' experience. And so now the question would be, how do we, do we afford such experience if we are just fresh graduates that are trying to gain experience? So that's one of the challenges. The other challenge could be a lack of opportunity itself. Um, there are very few job opportunities in Africa and Zambia as well with the government only recruiting uh, people from a certain particular profession, like teachers and health workers. That leaves a lot of people uh, that are not in those fields with, uh, with a very small pool to, to find jobs because that becomes hard and uh, the experience has really been hard from that background. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Nabil Biajo in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com.
A watchdog panel of British lawmakers warned today that the government's latest legislation to revive its controversial plan to send migrants to Rwanda is not compatible with the country's rights obligations. The news agency AFP says the ruling conservatives introduced the so-called safety of Rwanda bill late last year, shortly after the Supreme Court ruled that deporting asylum seekers to Kigali is not legal under international law. It passed after, on, after ongoing scrutiny in both houses of, of parliament. The legislation would compel UK judges to treat Rwanda as a safe third part, party or country. It would also give government ministers powers to disregard sections of international law. Parliament's Joint Committee on Human Rights said the proposal is not compatible with the European Convention on Human Rights and the 1951 United Nations Refugee Convention as well as domestic rights law. More than 700 Botswana nationals could be kicked out of Ireland after the European country moved to drive down the number of asylum applicants. Ireland's Justice Minister recently indicated Algeria and Botswana will be added to a list of safe countries as part of measures to reduce the number of asylum seekers. From Gobron, Botswana reporter Gondisi Dube has the details. According to figures from the island's Department of Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth, most of the 26,473 people who are seeking asylum in Ireland are from Africa. That includes 3,000 from Algeria and 709 from Botswana. Last week, the country announced it will add both Algeria and Botswana to a list of countries deemed to be safe. This will mean asylum seekers from these countries will no longer be guaranteed protection in Ireland and could be sent home. Expanding the number of countries deemed safe is seen as a key strategy to cracking down on rising asylum applications. Johanna Tandi Baloi is a Botswana national based in Ireland and says the development is worrisome. Uh, of course, there should be a concern. Obviously, our country has been highlighted now. They realized there is apparently a lot of uh, numbers of Botswana coming into the country. Uh, remember, this happened at the same time when Ukraine is having the problem. So there were a lot of uh, Ukrainians accommodated in the country. The biggest problem was now accommodation, which was so severe, they, the citizens started even complaining and worrying. Under the new arrangement, applications from asylum seekers from safe countries would be fast-tracked. Baloy says this could lead to mass deportations in the near future. Obviously, if your application is not successful, they look into a case, they realize, oh, this is not really something that could, one could say it's, it's a threat. So if you are unsuccessful in that, you might need to be deported. Uh, the Irish deportation system has been really slow and it hasn't been really active, not knowing if they are going to make it very effective and kind of review it. Of course, it's a burning issue at the moment and people will be concerned. Chanasi Puzo was the chairperson of a 2022 campaign called Justice for Undocumented People Living in Ireland. She says the government is being pressured by public opinion to act on the growing number of asylum seekers. The locals like view us as people that uh, came to, de to depend on wholly on, on the government coffers, on false pretenses. So that's really something. Uh, that they don't really like. And as for now, it's, it's election uh, time in most of these Western countries. And uh, immigration is a, a hot uh, issue topic at the moment. Puzo, however, says there is at least one benefit to Botswana being classified as a safe nation.
For Botswana to be labeled as um, a safe country is good for the country, is that won't tarnish uh, the reputation of the country and uh, it won't damage the uh, potential uh, investor confidence as well for the country. But for us, Botswana citizens living here uh, in Ireland, it's, 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 it will affect us in, in, a, in a negative way. In December, the European Union agreed to immigration reforms that will limit the number of asylum seekers. For VOA, this is Mkondisi Dube in Habroni, Botswana. Elements of Rwanda's army supporting M23 rebels in eastern DRC Congo have fired at least one surface-to-air missile, according to an internal UN document seen by the French news agency AFP. The confidential report said a mobile surface-to-air missile, SAM, was fired at a UN observation drone last Tuesday without hitting it. It says French military intelligence supports the assessment that the mobile SAM system was Rwandan. The report indicates two aerial images in which a six-wheeled armored vehicle is visible with with a radar and missile launcher system on its roof. The photos were taken about 70 kilometers or 44 miles north to the city of Goma in Rochuru territory held by M23 rebels after often said to be linked to Rwanda, a charge Kigali denies. In the document, the UN's peacekeeping mission says it has no past reporting of non-armed groups possessing the training, capital or resources to operate and maintain a mobile SAM system. Condolences are pouring in after Kenyan marathon world record holder Kelvin Kiptum died in a car crash in western Kenya late Sunday night. VOA's Nairobi Bureau Chief Mariama Diallo has this report. Kelvin Kiptum was a star, said a social media post Monday from Kenyan President William Ruto. Ruto noted that Kiptum was only 24, yet had triumphed in several major competitions. His mental strength and discipline were unmatched. Kiptum was our future, Ruto's post said. That feeling is shared by many in Kenya, including Jackson Tuwe, president of sports body Athletics Kenya, who spoke to VOA on Monday. So he was a very humble person, uh, a young family of uh, a wife and two children. He had just started his career and we were hoping that he would actually go very far in his career. When I talked to him last time, he was uh, telling me that he's looking forward to bringing the, the marathon record uh, to uh, lower than two, two, two hours. Kiptum was the first man to run a marathon in under two hours, one minute, when he set the world record of two hours and 35 seconds in Chicago last October, beating the previous record holder, Kenya's Iliad Kipchoge. The car crash Sunday happened on the road between the towns of Eldoret and Kaptagat in western Kenya, Twe says. The reports we have received so far from the police is that um, um, Kelvin Kiptum was driving the, his, his own car, but he lost control at about 11 o'clock last night and veered off the road into a ditch and then hit a very, a very big tree uh, somewhere there. Unfortunately, uh, both Kelvin and his coach uh, lost their lives on the spot. 
And the girl who was um, in the car was uh, had serious injuries. She was taken to hospital. Former Kenyan Prime Minister and opposition leader Raila Odinga described Kiptum as a remarkable individual and says the nation grieves the profound loss of a true hero. At a presser on Monday, Cabinet Secretary for Youth Affairs, Creative Economy and Sports, Ababu Namwamba, described the day as a very dark day for the athletics community, both in Kenya and across the world. He told reporters the passing of Kiptum was a loss of a special gem and has caused deep distress and pain for the country. Namwamba will meet with Kiptum's family on Monday. Mariama Jalu, VOA News, Nairobi. So the final Africa Cup of Nations tournament lived up to expectations as the host Ivory Coast Elephants scored a 2-1 victory yesterday over Nigeria's Super Eagles. Sebastian Haller scored the winning goal in the 81st minute. It was Ivory Coast's third Afghan triumph, tying them with Nigeria for the fourth most successful team in tournament history. VOA's Mukbil Yabro, who has followed the tournament from the start, joins us in the studio to discuss the tournament. Welcome to the show, Mukbil. Thank you for having me, Nabil. Yesterday's final, what struck you the most? Great question. I think what struck me the most was... uh, People had expected Nigeria to be able to steamroll over Ivory Coast as they have gained momentum. These two teams played uh, at the beginning of the tournament uh, in Group A where Nigeria won 1-0. And then there was a lot of challenges with uh, Ivory Coast after that. As we know, they had a very, very close uh, exit uh, to the uh, tournament. Uh, but sometimes this is the beauty of the story. You know, they were pretty much almost all the way out of there. And then somehow, miraculously, they made it back. But interestingly enough, uh, Nabil, the Ivorians have always had uh, relatively good ball position in almost all their games, even if they've been losing. It's just that in the final third, they just have not been able to convert. Even in this game, um, Nigeria scores first in a 38th minute by their captain, uh, Troust Ikong. And then the resilience of the elephants, man, with their 12th man. You know, the stadium is roaring. They come back. uh, Frank Kese scores in the 62nd minute to level it. People are just expecting to go to extra time at this point. But then somehow... I certainly did expect that. That's what I'm saying. I'm I'm thinking to myself, it's extra time. But Sebastian Haller, with a lovely touch, is able to put this team through uh, and give them their uh, most deserved uh, win of AFCON 2023. It, it was indeed incredible. But like, like you mentioned, the elephants have come to be known for their comebacks. You remember the Mali... Uh, Ivory Coast Absolutely. game. And what uh, vivid memories did you uh, live with? I, I would say the, this entire tournament to me has been a, an amazing tournament with so many unexpected and unpredicted winners, even from the very beginning, leaving in the group stages and such. Uh, just a couple that I would say, I would say Ivory Coast beating the defending champion Senegal really gave them uh, you know, that confidence that they needed to progress in the knockout phases. Imagine you barely making it through and then your reward is you play the defending champion. So <laughs> for me, that was an amazing uh, um, mem- memory for sure. And then I would also say Bafana Bafana, South Africa, going up against Morocco and beating them 2-0 in a very, very good game. Uh, we expected Morocco to do a lot better, but, you know, shout out to South Africa. And they also claimed the third place win against DRC uh, this past week. Indeed. And, and uh, Mughbal, you were in Abidjan until very recently during the games. 
Uh, what do you think visitors of Ivory Coast learned about the country? I myself, that's my first experience, uh, you know, being in West Africa. I truly love the, the people, uh, the food, you know, the, it's, to me, a local is one of my favorite foods now, which is plantain. I, I'm trying to make it at home, you know, and just the vibes, man. Great people with, with a great heart, you know, uh, they welcomed you. So they were a great host nation, and it's beautiful to see that their team be able to pull this off for the people. This Afghan was incredible. What should we expect for the next one? It's going to be very difficult to beat, I think. Uh, to me, the only thing that needed to be cleaned up was maybe ticket sales uh, at stadiums. Maybe bring that back to make it easier for folks to want to come and see the games. And lastly, for the individuals in the West that are watching it in the diaspora, please make it easier for games. For us to watch these games, it was so difficult. But other than that, uh, it, it, it was an amazing tournament. Thank you for joining me. Mokubil, and that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokubil Yabro, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. <laughs>